everybody, it's Play to Innovate, the innovation show that goes beyond the hype. Now here's your host, my dad, Brett Schwab. Welcome back to another episode of Play to Innovate. Today, I want to talk to you about questioning everything that you know. Before I begin, I want to say that I have to tread a little carefully here just to make sure that you understand that I am not talking about politics as far as elections or elected politics. I'm talking more about the internal politics of an organization, if we get into that. And I also want to make sure that you understand that I'm not encouraging you to be or talking about being a cynic as much as maybe being a skeptic. What I really want to talk about, though, and encourage you to do is to break past what you believe that you know to find solutions and options that you would normally not consider. And to do that, you have to get to a point where you can question what you believe to be facts. So let's start off by talking about the difference between a skeptic and a cynic. Because, as I'm sure you know, a skeptic is somebody who does question things and they look for evidence, but when they find that trustworthy evidence, they are more likely to believe it and go in that direction. A cynic, however, tends to look for the worst, they are ready to believe the bad, and oftentimes, especially in my, in my experience, when that cynic comes across information, even if it is trustworthy, they tend to mistrust it, they tend to not believe it. And I know this because I used to be a big cynic. And it wasn't until I kind of fell in with a group of more positive people, business-minded people, that I learned to be a skeptic rather than just a cynic. But I now take the route of trust but verify. So I stay positive. I expect the best. I don't want you to think that I'm saying I'm a Pollyanna in any way. And if you're familiar with the term Pollyanna, It does come from a book about a character named Pollyanna who only saw the bright side and essentially to her detriment. But again, I look for the good. I try and see the bright side, but I try and be realistic about the things that are going on around me, what it will take to get past roadblocks and the challenges presented to me. But at the same time, staying positive really makes the difference. It helps me to remain calm. It helps me to see opportunities where I believe others do not. And it helps me to keep my options open to possibilities that will help me get out of a negative situation. Okay, so all of that out of the way, I'm going to talk about four things that I used to believe as facts. They are what I call cultural facts because I don't believe I learned these in school I think I learned them either through movies and television or just friends and family would talk about them as if it was the reality. And the first one is something that I actually didn't know until last year. That's Columbus never set foot in what is now the United States. He actually found the Caribbean and essentially stayed down there and plundered it and brought all of those riches back home. But the other question is, Where's home? Because there are two countries in this world who believe that Christopher Columbus came from there and his remains are buried there. That said, I know that Spain sponsored his trip, but I don't remember ever hearing in school that he came to the United States. And yet, 
it is such a cultural fact for us that we have Columbus Day. The other fact that I just learned is that diamonds are not made from pressurized coal. They are made from pressurized carbon, but only from a more pure form of carbon. Now, this one I'm proud to say I learned about two years ago, which is the misconception that humans only use 10% of their brains, while we might use only 10% of our brain for conscious thought. And I don't know if that's actually true or not. All the rest of the parts of your brain actually perform specific functions throughout your body. So while you can't use your entire brain somehow for conscious thought, you do use all of the different parts of your brain to help you live. All right, now this last one really surprised me. And it's the bats are not blind. I know, what? No, in fact, large bats can see about three times better than humans. And they use echolocation because it is difficult to see at night. So the term blind as a bat doesn't really mean anything. It's just this social misconception. The point to all of these is that we tend to go around and hear what we believe are facts. We believe that they're true. And they're kind of trivia. So things like diamonds are not made from pressurized coal, that's trivia. We don't really care, so we don't really question it. But there are things in our lives, especially the things in our work, the things about the products, the industry, the people we serve, that we tend to believe because a mentor at work told us, or that's just the direction the product is going and we kind of don't question it, that we should be questioning. It's these little facts that kind of build up and over time skew our understanding of what we should be providing. Over the years, I've done a lot of user testing. And in that time, I am always surprised, and for me, it's a pleasant surprise, but I'm always surprised to hear what the users say about the designs that I'm showing them. I'll go into a user testing session believing one thing, des having designed something in one direction based on either research I've done or requirements I've, ga I've gathered, preliminary user conversations, things like that, only to find that the people I'm testing with have no use for what I've shown them. In fact, they want something completely different. And while I always find that surprise fun, it still goes to show that even with some careful testing, even having asked what, who I believe are the right people, I am surprised continuously to find out that I was wrong. And that's just one example of why questioning everything that you know all the time will help you grow and become more, but it will also help you provide the best results. Now, while it can be really difficult to know what to question, especially when it, when it comes to trivial things, it can be especially difficult when it comes to stuff that you tend to trust, such as studies and surveys. And so let's talk about the facts about the facts of statistics, studies, and surveys. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is that there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. Statistics seem like a, a fact. They're a solid number that we can just hold on to. But we have to look at what's behind that number. It's very dangerous to just go by a number and trust it completely.
you have to check the method used of the study or survey that got you to that number. Look at the sample group that got you there. Now, sometimes there are just flaws. In fact, there have been some studies um, done on some past research that found that that found out that the researchers behind those studies were honest. They were doing the right thing in their mind, but they also didn't understand how to conduct a study, how to conduct a survey in a proper way. And so the results they got, though honest, were skewed and bad. So uh, it was either biased samples or wrong questions, not enough people, things like that. But there are other times where the outcome of a study or a survey is more directed. Those tend to be things that are brand-sponsored, where they're trying to prove one thing or another. And in fact, there are a couple of famous examples. One of them is the fat versus sugar debate, where the researcher back in the 70s was paid off to skew his results and show that fat was worse for you than sugar. Now, the sugar industry was were the culprits. They paid him off. And so we went about 30 or 40 years believing that sugar was fine and fat was bad for you. Now, that researcher has since passed away, but it came to light that he had skewed his results. And so it turns out that maybe carbs or maybe sugar is worse for you than fat. The question here is, how true is that? Actually, the debate is still going on and they're still doing research. So that's an example of somebody tweaking data points or focusing on specific data while ignoring important factors. There are other times where it's not necessarily a brand sponsor as much as a researcher trying to make a name for themselves, write a paper, prove a point, things like that. Now, as I mentioned before, a good scientist, a good researcher will go into a study trying to not be biased. Now, I've heard some scientists say that they will actively try and disprove their theory. If they, can, if they can't actively disprove their theory, then they know that they're onto something. But that also brings up the idea of peer-reviewed, where they put their results out for other scientists to try and duplicate or disprove. So when you look for statistics, when you're looking for facts, it is often best to go to a peer-reviewed source. So my point to all of this is not to be a cynic about research. It's not to say that all research is bad or biased or anything like that. It's just to say, keep an open mind that what you believe might not be accurate. What you know and what you understand can be fluid, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that is part of continual growth. But if you are looking for a way to try and verify your sources of information, there are a few questions you can ask. For example, you can ask um, if this survey or research is something that was seen just once or in multiple studies. So in other words, has this research been duplicated over the years? Uh, is, has it been peer-reviewed? Or is it just a one-time thing? You can also look at the study and see if it was a small or a large study. And sometimes there are pilot studies, but the researchers will say, in our pilot study. The issue with that I, that I've seen is that people, when they talk about the results of those pilot studies, 
forget to mention pilot, and they just say a study proved. Now, that tends to be a social issue. And the important part of that is that a pilot study really is just to say this is our concept, this is what we're trying to prove, and we're trying to set a direction for the research that we're doing. But then you can start looking at the experiment itself and decide if it was randomized or, for example, a double-blind study, or if the group tended to be rather homogenous and might skew the results. Another important factor is looking at who funded the study. Was it a brand? Was it uh, some kind of group or agency trying to prove a point? I would say that, for the most part, you can trust government agencies when they do research, and finally, you can ask if the researchers are transparent. I, the, I don't know exactly how to do that as a layperson. As a not, I'm not a researcher, so I'm not really sure. I suppose if it's apparent that they are hiding something, then you would know. Otherwise, I really would say to fall back on looking at how the study was conducted, and especially if it was peer-reviewed. Okay, so with all of that out of the way, let's talk about some great questions to ask. I talk about this a lot because great questions lead to great solutions. So all of the greatest questions start with, does it have to be, why, and what if? So does it have to be the way we're told? Does it really have to follow the rules like we've been told? Things like that. Why do I believe what I believe? Why am I told what I'm told? things like that. But also, what if it's not the way I believe? I think that's another important question. What if things are different than I believe? And then start doing a little bit of research. Now, I know it can be really scary, especially if you wrap up your self-image with what you believe or your worldview. And I think that is very easy to do. And I'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute. But for now, let's talk about what to question. Okay. Now, when it comes to questioning things, I would say to question everything. Now, I know that's really broad, but practice questioning literally everything. Um, you can question the last decision that you've made. So you can debate yourself on that. Was it really the best decision, or am I just getting an answer to be done with the whole situation? Was that an emotional decision, and did I really just support it with facts that I came up with so I can continue on in my emotional decision? Or was it really a fact-based decision? The secret here is that that's kind of a trick question. Most of the decisions that we make as human beings are emotional decisions, and they're only supported on the back end by seemingly logical arguments. Now, that's some of the research I've been reading lately, and so that might change. But for me, I, I can actually see it happen I'll make a decision and then uh, kind of feel the logical arguments starting to form, that rationale of why I just did what I did. But you can also start looking at products in the store uh, and ask yourself, why was it made the way it was? You know, try and get into the mindset of the person who designed it. Think about why it was packaged the way it was, but also start questioning what you would do differently or how to make it work better for you. But you can also question the things that you own, and since you own them, you have used them quite a bit, and so you have some more insight into what would make them better, 
And then you can also start thinking about why they were designed the way they were or why the version you have right now might not be as good as the one out in the store. Things like that. You know, I have this antique fan. And the thing that I love about this fan is it's the world's most dangerous fan ever. There are exposed wires on the bottom that I think were covered up with a sheet of felt. But the thing that's most dangerous about this fan is that the mechanics, the the axle for the fan blades, actually sticks out the back of the fan and has kind of this sharp notch on it. And to cap it all off, the blades are made of nice, thick brass and covered by this, I guess you would call it a safety cage. I don't know how it's any safer than having nothing, but it's this wide open uh, thing of wire that kind of gives it a little bit of a design, but and maybe maybe tells you about where the blades will be, but it doesn't prevent small people from sticking their fingers in there when they're five or six years old. I love this fan because, first of all, I've disconnected it. We've never used it. It does still work, uh, but it is a great example of how uh, it's beautiful but horrible and how over time uh, I'm positive somebody's gotten their finger chopped by one of these causing fan blade covers to become actual safety cages rather than just decorative elements that tell you where the edges of the fan blades are. So owning this product has given me plenty of time to walk past it once in a while, admire it, uh, and think about how things have changed and what was going through their heads when they designed it. I'm positive it was one of those, it's going to be on a stand or on a filing cabinet someplace in an office, only around grown-ups. They're not going to be stupid enough to stick their fingers in this fan blade while it's moving. Well, I, I got news for you. Uh, people will surprise you all the time. That fan is a great example of the biased thinking that over time designers have learned to get past. But let's talk about getting past those biases and talk about the term confirmation bias. Confirmation bias these days seems to be kind of a buzzword. It seems to be kind of pop psychology. But the reality of confirmation bias is that we all have it. We all do it. We all believe something and then tend to look for evidence that confirms that bias, whether it's about people, products, industries, things like that. So how do you get past these biases? You start by allowing yourself to start thinking more deeply about things and not in a poetic sort of way, but more so just do some research. Do a half an hour or 45 minutes worth of research, but be open to the fact that you could be wrong. The thing about confirmation bias is that you can go off and find four sources, and as long as one of them confirms what you believe, you'll rationalize why the other three sources are wrong, biased, incorrect, whatever, so that you can continue on believing that believing what you believe. The deal here is that you have to, again, be open to the fact that you could be wrong and be open to the fact that these other sources are not out to get you. They're not out to try and, and hurt you in some way. They're there to help you. Someone who is able to get past their confirmation bias would say if three 
trustworthy sources disagree with me, then I must be wrong. And I'm okay with that. I just learned something, and now I can grow from that. I'll talk about that in a second. An important part of allowing yourself to think more deeply is being curious. It means getting outside of the world that you're in, the industry that you work in, the people that you serve, the products that you serve. Look at how people in other industries solve problems and see if you can use some of those concepts towards the work that you're doing. That means not stealing wholesale what they do. That won't work. But that means taking a look at how they think about things or methods they use to solve problems and see if you can use that in the work that you're doing. It also means finding multiple sources for information, especially multiple vetted, trustworthy sources for information. I personally just went from a couple of news sites that I check in the morning to uh, at least four. So I'll make sure that I'm looking at the various sides of a story, especially the more important ones. And to do that, I've actually recently found a site called All Sides, and they look at news from the left, the right, and the middle, and they present that so you can look for yourself as well. But also start exploring outside of the work you do. In fact, recently somebody asked me what I had seen in the news that I thought was very innovative. And he was talking about websites and software. But lately I haven't seen anything that was all that innovative in websites and software. But I had seen something that was more of a product. And it was more of an app with a product attached to it. So I talked about that. Learning about that app with its associated physical product helped me to see where the world is going. So it seems that software and real-world objects are starting to merge a little bit more. But it also helped me to understand how they solved a problem in a different industry, and in this case, a medical problem, versus the software that they were talking about. Now, all of this leads you down the road to potentially being wrong, which means that you could be wrong and you have to accept that. And I talked about that a a little earlier, but oftentimes we intertwine our self-image with our worldview. The way we see ourselves can be wrapped up in the way we see other people. It can be wrapped up in the job or the role that we play in the world. I personally see myself as a designer. And in fact, I solve issues in my life through design thinking And I think in terms of design and the interface between objects and the person. But that doesn't mean that I allow myself to only see myself as as a designer. I see myself as a husband, a father. I see myself as an inventor, a tinkerer, a writer, kind of somebody who likes to explore. So there are multiple facets to myself So when I find out that I'm wrong about something, my self-image isn't really wrapped up in that information. And I'm able to say, okay, I was wrong and change my view on that thing. But if your worldview is very small, if if you are only defining yourself by a few narrow things, then it becomes more difficult to change your mind, change your idea about things as you learn new information. 
Now, this is especially an issue for men, and I can only speak to men being a man, as we are often raised to be strong and not ever wrong, so we don't apologize for things. We kind of bowl through the world knowing that we are right or the world is essentially built for us, things like that. And so when we come to a point where we discover that we're wrong or the world has changed on us, it's difficult for us to handle that information. So men, I'm talking to you when I say start finding more aspects to your personality and to your self-image so that as the world changes around you, as you start seeing that you might be wrong about something that is even a fundamental idea to you, you're able to change your opinion. Now, knowing that you're wrong, admitting that you're wrong, not only gains you personal growth, it will actually help you gain respect from others. When you are able to admit that you're wrong, but show the character and the strength that goes with that character of changing your opinion and still knowing that you're okay, people will see that and respect that strength of character. But it also takes strength of character to think for yourself, which is the next point. It is extremely difficult to think for yourself when the information you're getting is coming from a trusted friend or mentor, someone who you believe actually is an authority in that area. It can be extremely difficult to think for yourself and stand up for those beliefs when everybody around you believes a certain way or believes differently and kind of gangs up on you on those ideas. Think about a time when you were working on a project where your entire team believed one thing, but you had found out something else. Now, in many cases, in a, especially in a good work culture, you're able to share your information, talk about your mindset and your rationale, and potentially change the group's opinion about things. There are times, however, where the group continues on thinking the way they do, and you're unable to change their opinion. But thinking for yourself also comes from building opinions based on verifiable, trusted facts. Again, you're not looking at blogs, you're reading trade journals, maybe even uh, news sources that are more uh, industry or technologically based, but you also are finding multiple sources that agree with each other without essentially having reprinted the same information. And I know I talked about that before. But thinking for yourself also means getting past those biases by not just looking for information that agrees with you, but looking for the right information and then going in that direction. So you get there by asking some better questions. And that means instead of asking what questions, ask why questions. And I talked about this earlier. So instead of asking what does that person believe, you'd ask why does that person believe what they do? Instead of asking what do I believe about this situation or this person, why do I believe what I do? And also ask, is your source trustworthy? And be honest with yourself. You can lie to anybody you want, but don't lie to yourself. All right, well, I hope you got something useful out of what I just said. Next time, I'm going to be talking about why failure is good and other lessons that will help you stay creative. All right, have a great day. Bye. Hey, everybody. You know, I recognize I haven't really explained much about what Play to Innovate really is and what it can do for you. 
If you would like more information, go to 5pebblesllc.com. That's the number 5, Pebbles, LLC, it's all one word, dot com, and check out the information there. Otherwise, you can go and find my book on Amazon.com, search under books for Play to Innovate, and there's a full description there as well. If you would like to leave a comment, I would love to hear what I can talk about. If you'd like to leave a comment, I'd love to hear how I can help you further your journey towards being more innovative and more creative, and what you would like to know as far as... If you'd like to leave a comment, I would love to hear what you have to say. I'd also like to know how I can help you further your journey towards being more creative and more innovative. All right, I will talk to you later. Bye. All right, back to the show.